got to open the next book. The scripture today comes from Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Hey, uh, hopefully if you noticed, I'm a little calmer, <laughs> so I'm not so nervous, and I appreciate the board was fantastic the other night. I'm telling you, you guys are squared away, man. Your commissions are on it, the job's getting done, and it's just fantastic to watch you guys in action. I'd also like to um, welcome my friend from the Brethren Heritage Center who has given me crash courses and what it is to be brethren in your tradition. And she's helped me tremendously understanding the history of the Church of the Brethren. And also my Aunt Noki um, from Gratis, Ohio. Aunt Noki's been with me at every church I've been in, and uh, it's a joy to have her this morning. Um, so last week I spoke on the missionary nature of God because it was missionary Mission Sunday, and I wanted to stay within that flow. And I read out of the book of Leviticus chapter 19 of how God shows his missionary nature and the idea of gleaning and what the landowners were supposed to do to, to leave part back for those who were in need. And then I shared with how I believe you guys are living out that missionary aspect of God through the Heifer International and the vision of Mr. West and giving animals and to his ark and the things that he'd done through Heifer International. And I said that this week I wanted to hone it in in a more practical way. It's one thing to give money to missions because there's really no connection from you and me when we give money. But today we're going to talk about practical ways that I believe this church is a missionary-minded church. And I hope to show that through the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior. For After all, this is the reason we're here this morning, to remember what he'd done for us. Now, my, I'm a King James guy, so what I'm going to say to you may not be exactly what was on here. You get different versions of the Bible. I suspect that's probably NIV or New American Standard or something like that. So mine might be a little different, so uh, bear with me on that if you would. But I happen to believe there's absolutely no way, no way the disciples could have written down or remembered all the things the Lord Jesus was throwing at them while he was here on the earth. Here's some of the things Jesus said. Um, I can forgive your sin. And everybody's like, uh, only God can forgive sin? Jesus says, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For me and him are one. That kind of drove people nuts. There's only one God. How could there be a God here and a God here? Jesus says, I have the right to raise the dead. Let's go find Lazarus who's been in that grave. Are you crazy, man? That joker's been there three days. You can't raise that guy. I can do it. He said a lot of crazy things in a short period of time that caused a lot of people to say, well, maybe Jesus isn't God. Maybe he's of the devil. Maybe he's mad or he's just, there's just something wrong with him. There's no way he could be God and God would speak to somebody like that. And then Jesus had the audacity to say, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it. That really threw him out of whack. You know how long it took us to build this, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? Of course he was talking about something different. Then the disciples decide they're just going to leave him. It's too much. 
When it comes down to confess him as Lord and say, I'm going to follow you and do what you ask, I'm just going to run from you and I'm going to go hide. How do they do that in one moment of time? And then in Acts chapter 4, in another moment of time, things are just going crazy. The world, is, the Bible says, is turned upside down. Things are blowing up. So I want to pick out three phrases here in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Elaborate on them. Try to hone it down as to what they did and what we do to show that we're missionary people. And then what brings all this together that holds all this together to make it be one way at one moment in life and a different way in another moment in life. In my particular Bible, the first phrase I want to read to you is, and the multitude of them that believed. I read in Acts chapter 2, I don't know, around verse 47, at least 15 different languages or cultures that said, we've heard these men speak in our language the wonderful works of God. 15 different languages and cultures in a moment of time believed. The Bible says the multitudes. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says 3,000 souls were added to the church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it says that God added to the church daily those that should be saved. Multitudes and multitudes and multitudes in a moment of time are coming to Jesus. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, it says 5,000 men in one day accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And the multitudes of them that believed. So many people hearing the word of God coming to Christ in one moment of time. What did they believe? They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. That he was the Christ. That he was born of a virgin. He was spoken about by David. That he died and that he rose again. They heard that message. It resonated in their heart. And the Bible says they believed. The second thing it says there, they were of one heart, one soul, and one mind. They were together. That means they had one will. Each man didn't have his own will, his own desire. But they had one heart and one soul in them to do the will of God. He had so changed their lives that they said, I want to follow him and I want to serve him. How do multitudes from different languages, different cultures, and different backgrounds, how do they come to be one? It's because God had changed their heart. They had heard the message and they believed the message. They were of one heart and one soul together to honor Christ and to serve Christ. The third thing I want to mention is that they had all things common. Meaning, they had a common faith. They heard him saying the wonderful works of God, all of what God had done through the prophets in the Old Testament and how it come through in Christ. They believed that. But it also says that they shared what they had. They said, what I have does not belong to me. They said, what I have belongs to you. What you have belongs to me. And the Bible says they took it and they laid it at the apostles' feet and said, do with it what you will. They had all things common, meaning the poor man gave up what he had. The rich man gave up what he had. Not everything that he had, but what was in his heart to give. In the Old Testament, God commanded certain things to be done in the gleaning process. Not so in the New. Never asked him for a dime. 
Never asked them to do nothing. All he did was come in their hearts, come in their souls, and change their life. And such joy filled the poor man. Such joy filled the rich man that they said, I don't care about the things. I care about you because I love you and you have changed me. So they laid it at the apostles' feet. How are them jokers going to deal in one day with over 5,000 people being saved from all different cultures and backgrounds? How are they going to do it? What are they going to do? They are overwhelmed. So much so they'll say later in Acts that they had to pick out certain men to fulfill this part of the ministry because they needed to be praying, seeking God, and following the scriptures and understanding what God was doing in their lives. And they say, pick out some men to do this. Let me lay out a scenario for you about these multitudes from all different languages and backgrounds. In Acts chapter 2, it says that there was Jewish people who come to the Father. And accepted Christ as Savior. There was Gentiles, what they call proselytes, who became Jewish to follow the law and the commandments of God. And there were Gentiles who accepted the Christ. Now, in all this mix of people, what kind of people do you think there was? If the poor man who comes to Judaism is a proselyte, the Jewish people didn't like that Jesus Christ is God. They said, get out of here, brother. You no longer have part with us. He can't go back home because they want nothing to do with him. They don't like him anymore because he's accepted Christ. And they said, get away from me. What about the Gentile? Maybe he's selling some idols out on the street. Maybe he works in the temple of the false god. Maybe he's a male prostitute, a female prostitute. Maybe he's the drunkard. All of these kind of people, they hear the message of God they accept Christ as Savior, and they come running to the disciples and say, we want to serve him, and we want to follow him just like you know him and just like you serve him. And whatever they had in their lives, they gave to the apostles freely because Christ had so changed them, had so touched them, and had so ministered to them. Well, who's going to take care of this guy? Every man wants to take care of his family. What's he going to do? How is a believer who comes out of that mess going to take care of his family? Going to survive and earn a living? He's kicked out of everything he knows. But the rich man is also kicked out. A rich man obviously has influence. Maybe he has influence in the temple. Maybe he knows something about his Bible. Maybe he has influence in government. And he flows with the government and does what the government does. And all of a sudden the rich man hears the good news of Christ. And he says, I no longer believe like that. There is not a multiple gods. We can't do people wrong. We don't want to go to war and just destroy people for no reason. I can't follow that anymore. I've accepted Christ. And they say, get out of our little world. Who are you to come into our world and make a judgment on us? Leave here. He's lost all prestige and all honor in his own mind. But he knows God has touched him, God has saved him, and God has changed him. And maybe he has a little savings account. And he sees the poor man that comes up and accepts Christ. And he says, Lord, I love you and I want to serve you. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't really care what's going to happen. I just know I want to follow you. But how am I going to make this work? And the man with all the prestige and all the honor had heard this and he sold his land. And he says, what's mine is yours, brother. 
You're in Christ. You love him. You serve him. And you follow him. What's yours is mine. And what's mine is yours. They had no disagreement. No fighting and no bickering. But God worked it out in his own way to provide for all those kinds of people. Because it was in their heart to follow and serve him. Whereby nothing mattered but Jesus Christ and the cross. We're the multitudes today, are we not? Do we not come from different backgrounds? Maybe different upbringings? Maybe we had two parents, maybe we didn't. Maybe our parents was rough to us, mean to us. Never wanted us in church. Maybe our parents had us in church all the time. But aren't we from different kind of cultures, so to speak? You know, I'm a gratis boy. Gratis has a different language than everybody else, so they say. I'm made fun of every day at work because I'm a gratis boy. I work with pride, dignity, and honor. I'm a gratis boy. But my culture might be a little different from a Camden boy or a West Elkton boy. The multitudes, all different backgrounds, all different stages of life. Are we not from that? But we believe, didn't we? Don't we all believe that Jesus is the Christ and he's Messiah? Now, we might have believed a little different. I'm Pentecostal. Some of you, brethren, your whole life. Some of you might have been Baptist. Some of you might have been Lutheran. Some of you might have been Episcopalian. But it's Christ. The multitudes, we believe in Christ, that he died, that he rose again. This is what we believe, and this is who we are. And because we're the multitudes, and we've come together, and we believed in Christ, we should be one in heart and in soul. What should we be one about? What makes us one? The fact that we want to see others come to Christ. That he has so touched our lives. So changed us, so moved us, so much helped us that we say we want somebody else to experience what we have. You know, Jesus said when he came, he didn't make uh, sons and, and, and fathers to love one another. He said, I come to make it. They're going to argue and bicker. Mothers and daughters are going to argue and bicker. What are they going to bicker about? Is he Messiah or not? Those that say he was going to go follow him. Those that say he's going to kick you out. Where are you going to go? we got to be one. We're one because of what he did and what he done on the cross. We should be of one heart and one soul. How do we have all things common? That you say what's yours really ain't yours, and I say what's mine really ain't mine. How in practical ways can we live out the missionary nature of God in this particular passage? What I'm about to say may be way off the wall. But I'm going to lay it out for you anyway. Here's the way I believe you as a congregation are living out this thing of being common. Let's say a brother or sister in the congregation is going to have surgery. And you might decide to drop off the family some food sometime. You take them over some food to feed the family while the, the man or the woman's having their surgery. You're living out God's missionary nature. Maybe when he's having surgery, maybe he don't have all the perks that most of us have. Workers' comp or FMLA or all that fancy Nancy stuff. Maybe he's just a hard worker, man. He gets paid by the day. That man goes to surgery and he's worried about his family. Who's going to take care of my family? He's a believer in the church. He's a believer. Now, honest, 
True believers ain't going to go out begging for stuff, do we? We ain't going to tell nobody squat diddly jack about nothing if we have a need. Could be pride, I don't know. But most part, we're believers and we think, oh, God, you know, God will provide the way for me. He already did. It's called your brother or sister in Christ. This is who we are. This is what we're supposed to do. Well, maybe you help that brother or sister just pay a bill, an electric bill or something. That's your brother or sister in Christ. That's how you say, what's mine ain't mine. What's yours ain't yours. But we're working together with one heart and one mind to say, all things that we have belong to Christ. And we lay it at the feet of the apostles. And when you give, you lay it at the feet of the church and the stewards and the leaders. Maybe what about the shut-ins? Maybe they're shut in their homes. They don't get out to church. Maybe they have needs. And when every time you take them to what they have need of, you show the missionary nature of God. See, you're given time now. You're not just throwing money, man. You're giving of yourself. Now you're being true grit. So it's one thing to give the heavy and national throw them bucks out there. Whew, I'm missionary. Another thing when you go visit somebody, when you donate your time, now you're saying, no, God, your time. My time is your time. So when you go visit that person in the home or our shut-ins in a nursing home, Every time you call them on the phone, every time you send them a card, every time you go visit them, do you know how much you do for the kingdom of God and for their lives? People who has given to God and the church their whole life just set off to the side. And what do we do? We're going to send you a bulletin. We're going to send you all the great things going on in our church, and they just want somebody to talk to. That's all they want. Believers. Every time you visit them, every time you go share with them and just sit down, talk with them, pray with them, you are showing the missionary nature of God in practical, real life, the way to work it out. What about in this community? What about if there's a church here struggling? Maybe their pastor, they all got the same goals, man. Every church here has got the same goals, win people. And honestly, they want their church to grow. And everybody wants the young people come in because they don't want their church building to die. Pastors have great hearts. They want, they want what's right too. But maybe one of these churches are struggling. And we hear they're struggling. We say, hey, man, how can we help you? Oh, I mean, it ain't like I'm going to lift a 100-pound bag eight hours a day. But, uh, you know, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help your church? You're my brother. You're my sister. How can I help you do what God's asking you to do? Maybe one day God will bring us all together and see all this kind of stuff is crazy. But for now, until we work out ourselves, how can I help you? What's going on in your congregation? What's happening to one of your members? How can I help meet that need? Because you're my brother. You're my sister. This don't belong to me. This belongs to God and for his glory. And I give it for him. What about when we... Did the thing in Kentucky, Brethren, Disaster Relief. I'm not sure how it worked out or if the deacons called said what was going on or the relief sent out a memo, this is what we need. It don't matter. Here's what mattered. The deacons got together, they made out a call, and says Kentucky needs help. And when we came down here, the broom started flying down here, the canned food, that's, most of it was already here, but it just kept coming and coming and coming. Because you wanted to minister to them. 
You wanted to show the love of Christ to them. Now, I also want you to know that other people did the same thing that weren't believers. Maybe they just put it there for good deeds. That, you know, you know how some people are. Look what I've done today, Johnny. Aren't you proud of me? We shouldn't be that way. We gave in honor of Christ to say, we want to help you no matter where you're at in life. And this is the way we can do it. The call went out, the stuff came in, and we was able to take it over. But while I was there, I asked uh, Miss Wolf, is that her name? I don't, I don't remember her name. I said, uh, my name's Brian, I'm the interim pastor, and I'm, I'm glad we're giving to the community. I think that's great. But I said, I want you to tell the deacons or me or somebody if there's a church that's struggling. Tell me about the people of God, the Christians. Maybe the pastor that he's uh, working part-time, he lost his job, and he has a family to take care of, and he can't do it. Maybe his church building is ripped up pretty good, and they don't have the funds to fix it. Maybe there's a believer in that church that his job, the flood just completely took it out. They're not going to ask for help. But I said, if they're there, let me know. We want to help them. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They follow him and they serve him. They honor him. I don't have anything. It all belongs to God because he so touched me and so changed me and so moved me that I love him and him alone. She said, I, I will let you know. This is the way you show the missionary nature of God. How did it work for them? And I think that's how it works for us. It's okay to give to the food pantry. Give every week if you want. It's a great thing to do. It's okay to give to lost people, but they don't change lives. They just keep coming back. Keep coming back. But you know what? When you do good to the believers... And those lost family members say, what, what are you doing? Now, unbelievers always call you a hypocrite for three reasons. One, you always want money in the church. That's all you ask for. One, you don't love, meaning you don't like my lifestyle, so you don't love me if you don't like my lifestyle. And three, you act one way on Sunday and you act totally different during the week. I hear that all the time, too. Paul told Timothy that. He said, don't, don't, don't be like this. You be a follower. Be a follower. But the way we show love is to show it to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the lost people see that and say, why? Why are you treating them so good? Why are you doing this for them? Why do you go visit them? Why are you helping them out? Why are you doing these things? Because Christ loved me. He changed me. And it's their work and what they've done. Christ changed them and we're together in this. And I'm going to move with them and help them out. That's the way we win the lost. That's the way we're effective in our ministry. That's the way we do it by taking care of one another. What brought these cats together? To be chicken littles in one moment of time. To have all this going on in their church in another moment. First, I believe the disciples were obedient. Christ had asked them, he says, they, uh, now, i got to go back to the Father, but you wait in Jerusalem till I give you what you need to do the work I'm going to give you to do. And the Bible says they went and they waited. And as they waited, Christ fulfilled his will in their lives, in their obedience. What did he do? He came in presence. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was with them, he walked beside them. That he says, you see him and you know him because he's with you. But he will be in you. 
Now Christ is not only with them, but he's inside of them through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now his presence is with them. That presence allowed them to do the work that God asked them to do. With that presence came great power. Power to do the work of God. Power to bring people together. I'll talk a little bit more about that power in a minute. But with the power came persecution. You read all the way up to Acts chapter 4. See what they said to him. What they did to him. How they were treated. They were persecuted for their faith. But they kept right on going. Persecution brought prayer. The prayer was just read. Father you've seen what they've done to us. You've seen how they persecuted us. They threatened to beat us. But we remember what happened with your holy child Jesus. Lord give us the power. Give us the strength. Give us the will. Give us the desire to do your work. And the heavens shook. The people heard it. And they gave freely to the work of the church. What was it that brought it all together? This idea of obedience, presence, power, preaching. It was the word of God. They preached the word of God. Jesus. It's talked about from the foundation of the world. This was the way God was going to save mankind through the preaching of the cross. It was the cross of Jesus Christ that was going to change man. Not just giving things away and throwing things here and throwing things there. It's the cross. You see, when you give that can of food away, you might tap them on the back and say, God loves you. They know God loves you. You just gave them food. But when you hand them that can of food and you say, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Now you got a fight going on. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to think somebody special just because I come and ask for a can of food? I didn't care about the food. You're here. I just want to know, do you know Jesus? Now you got a war going on. You hypocrite. You don't love me. You think you're better than me. No. I just want to know, have you accepted Christ? I mean, goodness gracious, people still ask me that all the time. I mean, I'll be sitting in my car with my window down while Amy's three hours in the store. Guy come up to the window. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Uh, yeah, I hope I do. Yeah, I do. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. That starts the conversation. He gives up and he gives me a card saying, God loves you. That don't start nothing. Everybody knows God loves them. It's not a question of his love. It's where does his love get cut off in the sense of what does he approve of and what does he not approve of in my life? That's what he's asking. Where is your heart? Where is your life? That's what he wants to know. All that is shown and all that is revealed in the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior. My first communion I had with you, I mentioned that we need to remember what he done on the cross. This is why we come to the communion table. The second communion Sunday, I said you need to believe. I mean, what's the point of being here if you don't believe he's the Messiah? You don't believe he's Lord? You don't believe he's the Christ? You don't believe he can change your life? Goodness gracious. A lost man's got better things to do than that. He'll go fishing. You know, he'll go to the movies with his family on Sunday afternoon. If you don't know Christ, there's no reason. But man, you received communion because you believe that he died. You believe that he rose again. And you believe that he changed your life. Today, I want to say to you, not only do we remember his broken body and shed blood, not only do we believe that he died and that he rose again, but I'm asking us to continue to do what you're already doing, and that's live it out. 
Live out what he has done in your life. Share with other people that Christ is Lord, that he is king, he is Messiah, that he saved your soul, that he changed your life, and he can change you as well. Share your faith with who you are and what he's done in your life. And as we do that, now the war is coming. See, we're all comfortable. We don't want battle. We don't want fight. But the war is coming whether you like it or not. And it's always come around the lordship of Christ in one's life. So I want to ask you this morning, West Alexandria Church's brethren. I feel like I'm preaching to all saved people. But where's your heart at this morning? Have you kind of lost your way a little bit? That maybe he don't have your full heart? That you don't love him like you want to love him? That he just keeps touching you and keeps calling you and you, you just ain't ready to answer? I would ask you this morning. If that's you, I would ask you to come forward. Let the deacons pray with you. Let us be in agreement with you that God would touch your heart and continue to move in you and touch you that you're where he wants you to be in him. And then you receive communion. Is there anybody who wants prayer? I ask you this morning. Is there anybody who would like to be anointed with oil? Christ died for our healing. He died to change our life. Is there anybody who would like to be anointed this morning? It's opened up to you. Then I would ask the deacons to come and let's set up for communion while I say a prayer. Heavenly Father, I just come to you now in Jesus' name, thanking you for the broken body and shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's a hard thing to follow you and serve you. A lot of people say it's easy, but to share our faith with somebody else is very difficult. And then to receive that backlash. But you gave us the Holy Spirit who is in our lives. And on this day, Lord, we remember what you've done on the cross of Calvary, how your body was broken and your blood was shed to, to give us life and to put us in the right relationship with God. As the deacons set up communion, the people come to receive and remember what you've done. Not only do we remember, but we believe that you're Messiah and we believe you rose again and we believe you're coming back for us. And today, we want to remember that we're going to continue to live out the things that we believe and the things that receive concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us now in this part of the service, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.